Well, as we begin this new year, we're going to have our first message in the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 5. Things for the early Christians were pretty tough. They were living in a world where they were not wanted. They weren't even understood. And in a world where people were commanded to worship Caesar when they refused to do that because they worshiped Jesus, many times they paid a heavy price. The Apostle John was one of the leaders, obviously, in the early church, and the emperor had been fed up with him. And so he exiled him in a small island in the Mediterranean called Patmos. Patmos was a place that criminals were sent and others were sent to die. There were no resources out there, no food crops. You were sent out there to die. You were exiled and cut off. John was sent out there to die. But the emperor could not know that on that island, John would see again the author of life. And on a Sunday morning, John is in prayer worshiping God. I don't know what you'd be doing if you were exiled to die on a remote island, but John was worshiping God on a Sunday morning when Jesus showed up. The resurrected Christ appeared with him on the island. John said he was so terrified he could hardly breathe, and Jesus put his hand on him and said, don't be afraid. What an amazing moment. And he said in Revelation 1, verse 19, I want you to write some things down for me, John. I've got a revelation to give to the churches. And he said, I want you to write down the things that, that are, the, thing, the things that were, the things that are, and the things that are going to be. And he gave us this great book. Part of what Jesus showed John that day was a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. And when you get to Revelation chapter 4, it says this in verse 1. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. When you get to chapter 5, it says this in verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, 
which are the prayers of God's people. You ever wonder if your prayers are heard in heaven? How about this? They're saved up in bowls to be poured out on the earth to be answered in the will of God. Powerful. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Makes our worship seem a little bit anemic, doesn't it? And I can assure you, no matter how excited our worship is here on earth, it pales in comparison to the worship that goes on in the throne room of God. And our best hope is that our praise and worship here is joined with the praise and worship there to bring God the glory he deserves. Let's pray for a moment. God, these words are given to us that we may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And as we begin this new year, we cannot afford to have a dumbed-down view of God. We cannot have a a paltry view of you, Jesus. We need to see you as you are. You are beyond description. Even the mixed metaphors of a lion and a lamb cannot fully explain the glory of, of who you are. But today as we come to this table, we come to remember you. And we thank you for your sacrifice. More powerful, more awesome even than we can say. And we pray today, God, you'll be honored with the glory you deserve from us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I had seen the room many times on television. I had watched presidents deliver their State of the Union from the podium at the front of that room. Some of America's most defining moments have taken shape in that room. And now there I was about to walk in there for the very first time. The doors parted, and there I was, standing in the chambers of the House of Representatives in the capital of the United States. And it was an amazing moment, indeed, to look around that room and to realize what has taken place there over the years to shape a nation. Well, there is another room I've never seen on television. I've only read about it, and I'm looking forward to entering it even more. A room in which the eternal plans of God are made known. A room with a throne, and the one who sits on it more glorious than words have ever been able to describe. It is a room that someday I'm going to stand at those doors and they're going to open. I'm going to walk in that room. It is the throne room of God. And the reason I know that I will be allowed in is because of the sacrifice of the one we're remembering today at this table.
And I'm going to stand in that room and I'm going to see his glory with my own eyes for the very first time. And I'm going to stand in the presence of the one whose presence I will never leave again. It'll be the presence of the lion and the lamb, Jesus Christ himself. Communion is our remembrance of the death of this Jesus, the one who reveals himself as the great I am, God in human flesh. Jesus said when we eat this meal, we do it in remembrance of him, and we're reminded every communion that this is not just some sentimental journey, this is not just some religious ritual to dispense. Eating this meal won't make you a Christian. This will not get your sins forgiven. You can't get a spot in the throne room of God because you've come today to eat communion. But eating this, as Jesus intended, is a way for us to remember the one who died in our place, to know we have relationship with him, and that through his blood, his sacrifice, we have access to God and relationship with him forever and ever. We are forgiven. We are saved from our sins. And someday, if we are true followers of this Jesus, having been cleansed and forgiven by his blood and born again by faith in his sacrifice, we too, like John, are going to walk into this room he saw that day standing open in heaven. And what John saw there surprised him. In fact, it overwhelmed him. This John, who had loved Jesus, who had been closer to him on earth than anyone else, was not prepared for the glory he was about to see. Jesus opened for John a look into the very throne room of God. And the brilliance of God's glory was described as jewels glistening in the sun, emerald rainbows surrounding the throne, all reflecting with light coming from every direction on a sea of gold that was of the purest glass. And in God's right hand was a scroll written on both sides and sealed with seven seals. It was the plan of God for the completion and establishment of his kingdom reign. We know what was on that scroll because of the book of Revelation. But there was a problem. It says in Revelation 5, verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. The plans and purposes of God, John realized, are not going to come to pass. The scroll is sealed. The final promises will not be implemented. No one is worthy to open it. And he began to cry. He wept. Everything he'd worked for, everything he'd sacrificed for was going to come to nothing. Because no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was found worthy to open the scroll and usher in the final kingdom of God. No one except one. And in the midst of his tears, one of the elders who worshiped at the throne came to John with the good news in verse 5. One of the elders said to him, 
said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the king, the Messiah, the root of David himself, the one through whom all the kings would come, culminating in the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God. He has triumphed, the elder said, and he can open it. He can open the scroll and bring it all to completion. And when John turned around to see this great deliverer, he saw in the center of the throne a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Then I saw a lamb, he said in verse 6, as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. You know, I've been to enough bookstores to see this image depicted. It shows the glory of God in a throne room and this pristine little lamb standing there. It's not accurate. When John turned around, he saw a lamb looking as it had been, if it had been slain. Its throat had been slit. It was covered in blood. This was the lion who was the lamb. This was the king who had become the sacrifice. This was the great high priest who had become the offering. This was Jesus, the Lion of Judah, who gave himself as the Lamb of God. Communion reminds us of the startling truth that our salvation was purchased by the Lion who is the Lamb. How did, the lamb, how did the lion become the lamb? He did it when he purchased our salvation with his blood. That's why he looked as though he was slain. Jesus is the king who purchased our salvation with his own blood. John said in verse 6, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. Learn these words. You will sing them one day. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. You don't expect kings to give themselves as a sacrifice, and you don't expect sitting presidents to unload delivery trucks. But that's exactly what happened. Years ago, I mentioned for the first time my brother Gary, who passed away a few years ago, worked for a lumber company in Maine. One day, he got orders to deliver a window, a large bay window, I believe it was, to an address at Walker Point in Kennebunkport, Maine, the ancestral home of President George Bush and his family. 
George Bush was president of the United States when my brother delivered this window. Gary said when he pulled up, he had a large window, wood, nails, and all that had been ordered under a tarp on a flatbed truck. And the Secret Service made him unload everything to make sure it was all kosher, and then he had to load everything back up, and then he was allowed through the gates to the house. Secret Service men, he said, were standing by, and as he unfolded the tarp, he was having a trouble getting this heavy window off by himself, so he asked one of the Secret Service agents, he said, would you mind giving me a hand getting this off? He said, I can't do it. And that's when it happened, he said. He said, President Bush, dressed in jeans with a work belt on, came around the corner and saw what was happening. He walked up, grabbed the corner of the window, told Gary, grab the other corner, and he said that that Secret Service guy grabbed the other side of the window. The guy was on it, he said, faster than you could blink. <laughs> and they carried it around to the side where there was a hole being opened in an old window that was being replaced, and President Bush was there doing the work himself. Gary said, I was shocked. A sitting president comes around the corner. Not only is he installing his own window, he helped me unload the truck. If we're impressed with the story of sitting presidents who unload delivery trucks, How do we respond to a God who's willing to come and die on a cross in our place? John said, this Jesus, this King, this Lion of Judah is the Lamb who was slain. Verse 6, then I saw a Lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures, the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. See, there was no question who was on the throne. Everyone in heaven knew who it was, and so did John. He was the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion or the head of the tribe through which all the rightful kings would come. And there was no question that this lamb was God. He had seven horns, a description in the Scriptures of all power. He was almighty. He had seven eyes, a description in the Scriptures of being all-knowing. He is omniscient. He had seven spirits. He is all and ever-present. He is omnipresent. He's the almighty, all-knowing, omnipotent God. And this is the eternal, almighty, all-knowing, ever-present God who was slain for the sins of the world. This is the same Jesus hailed as God's lamb by John the Baptist. Do you remember? When John saw Jesus for the first time coming through the crowd that day to be baptized along the Jordan River. In John 1, verse 29, John wrote, this same John who was on Patmos wrote the story. The next day, John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he is before me. 
How can you be after him if you are before him? Only if you were born in human flesh, the God who was eternal. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. This is God's anointed. This is God's Messiah. This is God's Christ. The very identity that was given in heaven when John saw him again seated on that throne. He is the lion who is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's why he came, to bring glory to this God and to redeem us from our sins. Jesus was slain to save us from sins. All throughout Christmas, all throughout the great I Am series that we looked at, we heard these verses over and over again because they must be believed and understood for in order for us to be saved. Romans 3, verse 23, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death is separation from God because of sin. Life is coming back together in relationship with God because we are born again, we are saved, our sin is forgiven because we trust in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That's why Paul said in Romans 5, verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. That's you. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. What what Paul's writing is about is people don't give their lives for those who are in rebellion against them. But God did. Someone might give their life for a good guy, but not for one in rebellion against him. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still separated from God, while we were still in rebellion against him. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I saw a lamb looking as though he had been slain, butchered and bloody. God did that to his son. He did it for us so that we could come to God. And you see, one day people are going to gather in the throne room of God from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue to praise and honor and bask in the glorious presence of the Lamb upon his throne because they have believed and been washed in the blood of the lion who is the lamb. That's why John wrote in verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain 
And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Everything in heaven, everything on earth, everything under the earth, everything in the sea and everything on the sea will praise God. There will be no creature left anywhere who does not know the identity of the one who sits upon the throne. And you and I have the joy and privilege of praising him now because we know who he is. No wonder the elder in front of the throne told John, don't weep, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. The cross was not this king's greatest defeat. It was his greatest triumph. The question is, are you sharing in that victory? If you are, if you have received into your life the one who is the lion and the lamb, and you're living in relationship with him, then you share in that victory. Luke wrote in Acts 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Paul told the Romans in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, declared righteous. And it is with your mouth that you, are confessed, you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As we begin this new year, the... The burning question of eternity is, have you called upon the name of the Lord, the lion who is the lamb, seated on his throne, the king of heaven, who sacrificed himself for you, have you called upon him to save you from your sins? And are you now living to bring him honor, glory, praise, and worship that he deserves? A few years ago, 11 years ago actually now, I came across a story on CNN.com. It was in June of that year, 2005. One of the most amazing stories I ever read. It said a 12-year-old girl had her, an Ethiopian girl, had her world in a moment turn into a nightmare. Seven violent men abducted the preteen intending to force her into marriage. The men held the girl for seven days, repeating her, beating her repeatedly. Such incidents are common, this article said, in Ethiopia, as several men band together to abduct young girls for the purpose of securing a bride. In this particular instance, there was not a human being within earshot to hear the girl's cries, but her cries were heard. 
The unlikely heroes were three majestic Ethiopian lions. Famous for their large black manes, these lions are the national symbol of the country. In response to the girl's cries for help, three large lions leapt from the brush and chased her captors away. Perhaps the child thought she had traded one danger for another, but remarkably, her heroes formed a protective perimeter around her. A half day later, when the police arrived, the guardian lion simply stood up and walked away. Sergeant Wandimu Wadajo said, they stood guard until we found her, and then they just left her like a gift and went back into the forest. Among the explanations for the lion's unusual behavior, one wildlife expert suggested that the girl's whimpering could have, been, could have sounded like a lion cub. For whatever the reason, the predator served as a protector. The carnivore became a sentinel. Everyone, Wandumu said, thinks this is some kind of a miracle. Well, indeed it was. But I can tell you it was not the first time God sent a lion to be a savior. Jesus is the lion of Judah who became the lamb to die and save us from our sins. David Slagle commenting on that story in CNN said, this 12-year-old girl was helpless, powerless to change her horrific circumstances. Her deliverance had to come from a power greater than and outside of herself. And in the same way, we are powerless to save ourselves from sin and death. Our only hope is in Christ, the Lion of Judah, who is the Lamb who was slain. That's the one we're remembering today in communion. The one who said, this bread is my body and this cup is my blood, and it's given for you. So as often as you eat this, remember me, he said. I am the Lion and the Lamb upon his throne. Father, we have such a diminished view of Jesus. We make him out in our artwork and even in our own imaginations to be some cutesy, mild-mannered man. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lamb who was slain. No one else could open the scroll. No one else could bring about the completion of our salvation. And so today, as we come to this table, we want you to know that we come to remember you. And we thank you for this time together in Jesus' name.